This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Thank you. Thanks, Nathi. Good morning, Trinity Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'm Ronnie Garcia, senior pastor here at Trinity. If you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 40, um, that's where we are this morning. Now, psalms are really an interesting thing. Uh, For modern evangelicals, psalms are the place in your Bible that you go to for your personal, private, devotional life, right? That's where we spend our quiet times with the Lord, oftentimes. But for ancient Israel, that was hardly the case. The psalms were absolutely a public document. These were words not to be shared privately, but they were for the whole congregation, Now, that's going to be really instructive as we study Psalm 40. So the first 10 verses in Psalm 40 is what we're going to see is David remembering a time when he was in a tight spot and God pulls through for him. And then starting in verses 11 through the end to verse 17, only after he has recounted God's past faithfulness to him, then does he make this request. And that's what we see in the second half. Now, it's interesting in the second half with this petition, you know, David begins, he says these words like in verse 12, he says, my iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I am poor and I am needy. I need you to pull through for me. And then the psalm ends. The section ends with him saying in verse 17, as for me, I am poor and needy. You see that? Like nothing has changed. Right? There's no indication of resolution. He started poor and needy. He ends poor and needy. And so he has this idea. He's like, hey, I have this incredible idea. Choir master, put a sick beat on this. We're going to turn this into music. and We're going to sing this together. And in fact, that is what he does. You, you'll see him even hint at that in verse 9. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have not restrained my lips. He's saying, man, I'm always talking about this together. Now, it's interesting. Those words in verse 9 of glad news of deliverance in the New Testament, you know how we translate that? Preaching the gospel. So Psalm 40, David shares the good news of deliverance alongside the bad news of his own failures and his own neediness. Now, the question that you and I have is why should the people of God come together and sing about our unresolved angst and failures? Why would we do that? Well, as we're going to learn today, as we see in Psalm 40, it helps us to remember God's past faithfulness. It helps us to be honest, open up, and lean into our vulnerabilities. And it helps us to truly hope. So if you're a note taker, we're going to study Psalm 40 through remembering how to be honest how to hope properly. With that, let's give our attention to this wonderful, beautiful psalm, Psalm 40. And it reads as follows. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Grass withers and the flower fades, but God's words, they endure forever and ever and ever. May they bless you and me today. Amen. Amen. For those of you who um, have multiple children, you know they come right out of the womb with very different temperaments. So I have a set of identical twins, right? Same genetic code. One of my twins, Mia, she's a little bit more daring, a little bit more adventurous. When she was little, I would throw her up into the air. And it's as if I couldn't throw her high enough, man. She just loved it. Now, her twin sister... Not so much. I would go to throw her, and she would grab onto my arms like, don't you dare, Dad. So naturally, I did it, right? I'd play this game with Adeline, my my nervous child, and I'd put her on my knees, and I'd bump her right on my lap, right, as if she's kind of like riding a horse. And at some unexpected moment, I would open up my knees, and she would fall through, and I'd catch her in my arms. She hated it. (laughs) So I kept doing it. I did it time and time again. And every time I'd open my knees, I would catch her into my arms. And she got used to the idea of being caught by me. And you put that in the context of my relationship with her. I fed her all the time, changed her diaper, tucked her in at night, kissed her, sang over her. And I caught her in my arms time and time again. What happened? Well, with a little bit of time, with that broader context, Adeline felt that to be less scary less formidable emotionally for her. She was able to handle it. But why do I mention this? It's because what we see here in Psalm 40 is David is afflicted, right, by his own sins. And he's got issues, but he does not start with himself. He doesn't start with his issues. What he does is he recounts a history. See, he has a long history of being caught in his father's arms. And so what he's doing is he's putting his present petition and request into a larger context. 
And that's what you see right away. For instance, in verse 2, that's what he's doing. He's, David is saying that God drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Now, what's a miry bog? We don't even talk like that. Imagine like um, in World War I, for instance, you had like the Germans and the French firing each other and they would shell each other endlessly. And it created these massive craters in the earth. And then these spring rains would come. And what would happen is if soldiers fell into these craters, they could never get out. So thousands of soldiers actually died, not from gun wounds, but from unable to get out of these big holes. That's kind of what a miry bog is. Or if you grew up in the 80s, it's like quicksand, right? You're pretty sure that half your friends were going to die from quicksand. Didn't turn out that way. But it's like, what is quicksand? The more you turn your feet, right, the deeper you go. It's impossible to get out. But what do we see here? Verse 2, God put David's feet upon a rock, making his steps secure. He, He made a way for him to get out of this miry bog. And then, even though there were these extremely dark times for David, God put a new song in, in his mouth. That's what he says. He was even able to sing, even from the pit, with faith. Now, if you were to read the Old Testament in First and Second Samuel, what you're going to find there is story after story after story of David being in a tight spot and God just pulling through for him, always being there, catching him in his arms. See, David has a long history with God that he was able to use as context for his present trial. Now, here's why this is so instructive for you and for me. Waiting patiently during a trial, during disappointment, during uncertainty, waiting patiently is virtually impossible unless you can connect your pain to something bigger. If you don't have a bigger narrative, a bigger story to connect your pain to in your your uncertainty to, then your destructive coping mechanisms will come out. You've got to have something bigger to connect it to. And what are those coping mechanisms? Well, you'll repress it or you'll stuff it, right? You'll just stuff it down until your body starts falling apart or you can ignore it. Right? And hurt the people around you who are, who are going through the same thing, but you won't dignify their pain because you're ignoring. Or maybe you just rationalize it. You can't see the obvious thing in front of you because you've just kind of worked it through to ignore it. Or the most common one, you just you self-medicate. Just binge on Netflix, watch TV until you stop thinking about things, or maybe you just hit the bottle, right? You just get stoned. Or maybe you go to a fantasy world where you are in control and nothing can hurt you. Fantasy world of pornography. Or perhaps what you do is you just get on Amazon and you shop. Just waste your money. Just shop to forget. Those coping mechanisms will catch up to you if you don't have a broader story to be able to interpret what you're going through in this precise moment. Because listen, your life does not start with your pain. you got to reach back deeper. you got to go back further to see what the Lord, how he has been so good to you, so faithful, because your life doesn't start on your bad day. And if you forget that, if you don't reach back deeper into a, a history with the Lord, you'll unravel. You'll unravel. And you'll hurt the people that you love. So remembering, when you're in trouble, don't start with your troubles. 
Reach back deep. Remember God's faithfulness. That's how Psalm 40 starts. Now, it's not only remembering. What we see here, David does a second thing. He is honest. He moves, leans into his vulnerability. There's kind of this, um, this saying in our culture right now. It's kind of a popular refrain. You probably know it. Fake it until you make it. That's right. You've said it. I've said it. It's kind of funny. The only problem with the refrain, fake it till you make it, is what happens when that's what we do? And what happens when that's actually our life? We're just faking it all the time. Kind of a protest to that, my wife has this shirt, and it reads like this, world's okayest mom. It doesn't say world's best mom. It says world's okayest mom. And I love that about her. She's like, yep, I know who I am. I'm fine. I don't have to perform. I'm no one's dancing monkey. I just am who I am. And you know what I love so much about it? It's a place of rest. Not performing. It's a place of, of rest, that vulnerability. It's interesting. I was a few years ago. Now there's a young man who was in my office. It was a counseling, a pastoral counseling appointment. And he was engaged to be married. And uh, what had happened is his fiance got onto his phone and he had several social media platforms, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat and Facebook. And what he had done is he had set up several pseudonames, you know, these alternate, these alternate egos, if you will. And through these pseudonames and profiles, he just began to interact with tons and tons of women. And of course, his fiance finds out and her heart's broken and she leaves. And there he is. He gets found out and his, the walls are closing in on him. And he ends up in my office. We talk through it. And at the end of our conversation, he says something really interesting. He says, Ronnie, I have been faking it for so long that I'm actually now a fake. I've become a fake person. And I am exhausted. I'm exhausted managing my identity. Now, those words like, I don't judge this guy, man. I love him. And in fact, this guy bounced back, man. He went there and he bounced back from this. But when I hear those words, they're alarming to me because I wonder if that's what I'm doing. Have I become a fake? Is that why I don't have any rest? Is that why you don't have any rest? Because we've been faking it for so long. We're getting found out. It's exhausting. But listen, Trinity, what if we could do life differently? What if we could tell the whole truth about ourselves from a place of rest and security? That's what David is doing when he moves us into honesty and vulnerability. You see it most notably there in verse 12. Look, look there in the text. He says, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. Well, what kind of evils? He says, my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. There's so many, I can't even see straight. And then he says, my heart fails me, and I'm a coward. Man, I've made such a mess, I can't even see straight. I'm a coward about it, he's saying. Now, the commentators will tell you that it wasn't just his own doing. There were these other figures who are compounding, self-righteously compounding his pain. You'll see that in verse 14. It says, he says, he cries out, David says, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Those guys who just really want to hurt me. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. So these are just these self-righteous guys who are looking at David saying, man, look at him. What a joker. (laughs) 
loser, right? Compounding the pain. But David would say, you know what? This is a bed that he made, and now he's sleeping in it. Now listen, here's what I want you to understand. We don't know all the exact circumstances or the precise details that led David to write Psalm 40. We don't know precisely what it is. But we know a whole lot about him, don't we? He was a king who used his authority to become an adulterer, right? He's a marriage wrecker. And then when he's about to get found out, what does he do? He uses his authority to commit murder, takes out one of his best friends. And do you know why we know all of these details about David? Because David, as the king, made sure that they were recorded in the Bible for everyone to read about and to sing about. Don't you see? Like, David was like, scribe, get over here. You got a pen? Write this down carefully. These are juicy details. Don't mess this up. This is crazy. He was the one who made sure that we know about all of this stuff. And here's what we learn. There's two things. One is, David was a king with a reputation to maintain. He said, and so you could imagine, right, his advisors coming to him and saying, Sir, but, but what if people found out? And he's like, well, well, what, come again? What if people found out? Found out what? That I am broken? That I am a mess? What, and that I have to keep running back to the Lord time and time again? That's exactly what I want them to know. I want to be found out that I have to keep coming back to the Lord time and time and time again. Here's the deal, is that David cared more about the Lord than he did about his own reputation. He had a holy fear of the Lord. God was big to him. And he knew God would catch him in his arms time and time again. And the risk was worth the rest that he gets. And it's not, it's not just that he's staring at his navel and just bragging about his mess. He's not like, I'm the biggest sinner here. No, 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 no. He's saying it's that my God is the best, most forgiving God, and I keep running back to him. Look at him. And here's the second thing that I want you to see that we learn from Psalm 40, and it's this. It is okay to not be okay. Now listen, I know there is risk from opening up and being vulnerable, right? Verse 14 and 15 tell us you have these self-righteous jerks, right? Who, verse 14, delight in our hurt. Who are the ones, verse 15, who are saying, aha, got him, got him. See, I knew. Of course there was risk. But as I said, the risk was worth the rest. And he wanted everyone to say, don't. It's not that I'm so proud of my sin. It's that I'm proud of the Lord who is so safe that I keep running back to him time and time again. Write it down. It is okay to not be okay. Man, what if, Trinity, what if we believed that? What if we believed that together? And, and that was the, the environment of Trinity Church. There, no one's okay, but some of us say it's okay not to be okay. And then there's rest in this congregation, and we sing about it together. We sing about the Lord's goodness to pull through for us when we're in a tight spot. So, so far what we see in Psalm 40 is it teaches us to remember, to reach back further, that our problems don't start with our problems. We have something to connect it to. 
And then we see that there's this invitation to lean into honesty and vulnerability, to rest in that because the Lord's going to pull through for us. It's okay not to be okay. And then finally, what we learn is how to hope, how to hope. Now, this is going to be my final point. This is my conclusion. And let me just say right off, it's going to be a little bit more theological, but, but stick with me, you guys. This is so important that you understand this, to understand this text. When King David writes Psalm 40, he does so in two different roles. His first role, he's writing as like the ideal Israelite, right? He is the model citizen. He has virtues that we're supposed to uh, embody, right? He's a role model for us. And so we want to imitate him. We're very much called to imitate those virtues. But there's a second role from which he writes that are absolutely unique to David alone. And we're not called to imitate at all. This is for David. And it is what theologians call the representative instrument. Now, all the women in Bible said know exactly what I'm talking about. So let me just tell you what this means is that God gave to David very specific promises that are for him alone. We call this the Davidic covenant. So you and I can't just cherry pick a promise that was given to David and say that was for me because it wasn't for you. It was for David. So David is this covenant king. And the idea there is that God wants to justly rule the whole world through his king. And so if, if David obeys, the people flourished. In other words, the well-being of the people is tied to the obedience of the king. And so his life is very much a unique sacrifice for the well-being of the people. Now, with that framework in mind, let me just walk you through verses 6, 7, and 8 very slowly. Would you let me do that with you? Look at your Bibles there. Verse 6. He says, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. In other words, David's saying, my life matters. As king, my life matters. In other words, he can't just do whatever he wants and say, no problem, guys. There's a goat I can go sacrifice and just bail myself out. No, 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 no. He can't do that. He can't just erase his mistakes through a sacrifice. His actual life matters. It must be a sacrifice for the sake of his people, right? Now, verse 7. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. Now that book that David is talking about is the law, the Torah. And he's saying it's about me, right? Now watch this, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. What's he saying? He's saying, O God, I am all in. I will give myself fully to do your will for the sake of my people. Now think about this with me. Now, the whole congregation is coming together and is singing Psalm 40, right? The whole congregation is singing about the obligations of the king. If he does them, they all flourish. They benefit. And so they're all just singing together. And in fact, that's what they did. Think about it like this. This is like my children, for instance, grabbing the guitar and writing a song. And the, the, the lyrics of the song being something like this. Daddies need to be nice to their mommies, and daddies need to go to work and be virtuous. And we're all just singing the song. Daddies need to not lose their tempers. And we're all just singing the song together, right? Because if I do those things, my children benefit. That's what's going on with Psalm 40. And so they sing and they sing. Well, 
They sang. And how does the story end? David wrote checks that his life could not cash out. And he fails, and he fails bad. And not only does he fail, his son Solomon, he fails too. And after him, and in fact, most of your Old Testament is stories about unfaithful kings, time after time after time. And the people are languishing till all of a sudden Babylon comes up and put, takes them out and exiles them. And now there's no king. 400 years go by and there is no king. And so the New Testament picks up. And, and, and Israel sees himself in exile under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And they're just waiting. They're saying, Mashiach, come. They're waiting. They're waiting for Messiah to come. Why? Because they know if their king comes and he obeys, everyone will flourish. And so they're just begging and they're singing. And they're, they sing while they wait patiently. My deliverer is coming. Right? They just sang, waiting for him to come. And you know what else they sang? They sang Psalm 40. That's what they would sing when they were together. I've waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, right? I will sing. Don't you see? They're, they're singing. They're waiting. And so Jesus walks up and he's like hearing everyone sing. And he's like, that's my song. Psalm 40 is about me. And you know how I know that? It's recorded in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Jesus says Psalm 40 is about him. This was our New Testament reading today. Read this real carefully again with me. This is Hebrews 10. Consequently, when Christ came to, into the world, he said, and then he quotes Psalm 40 from the Septuagint, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8. When he, said above, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know what this means? That the king came and his life was indeed an offering for his people. Do you know what, I, do you know what this is saying? Is that your hope is secure. No one's playing around. Your deliverance is secure. The king did what he was supposed to do, and everyone benefits. Don't you see? This means that when you are at your worst, and when you're in the middle of the trial, whether it's a little one or whether it's a big one, maybe you're just 24 hours away from dying. Your doctor says all you have is 24 hours. Your deliverance is sure. That's what this is saying. Don't you see, this is why people would sing. This is why every generation would take Psalm 40 and just sing, sing to their heart's delight because it is a hope that is unbreakable. Trinity Church, it is your hope. Don't you see? Jesus said, this is about me. And he did what no other king would do. And all of us benefit. And that's why the song is so majestic. 
This is why we need the song on our lips. Singing it until our hearts believe it. Amen.